Welcome to Doing a World of Good, a podcast from the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, shining the light on the positive works of our members and supporters. I'm your host, Bob Norp. Few individuals have given back more to the chemical engineering field than Dr. Edward Cussler. Ed has shaped the careers of many of our brightest engineers as a professor of chemical engineering at both Carnegie Mellon and now as a distinguished institute professor at the University of Minnesota. He's also served as a past president of the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, where he helped establish many of our more forward-thinking programs for advancing the field. And as if that weren't enough, he is also the author of over 250 articles and five books, including Diffusion, Bioseparations, and more recently, Chemical Product Design. Welcome, Ed. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, Education and mentorship has seemingly been at the heart of your entire career. Why such a single-minded focus? Uh, why not go into the profession? Why teach it? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> um, oh, I, I think the reason for that is that uh, I chose chemical engineering almost by accident. Really? I, mean, I, I, knew, something was, uh, I knew something about it because my father had worked for DuPont and I grew up in what was then called the Duchy of DuPont. Uh, oh, basically, were you talking about uh, Delaware? <laughs> in, in Delaware, yes. I, I I knew that uh, it was a way to a career, and I thought about other uh, other possibilities. I thought about archaeology, about astronomy, about history, and I didn't think I was bright enough. So basically, I decided to to go into chemical engineering. Oh yeah, it, that's that that doesn't take intelligence at all. So this is a fabulously difficult profession, isn't it? <laughs> Um, yes and no. It, it, and, and maybe that's why I liked education, because that let me show what, how it could be understood. Uh, I, I really enjoyed making other people understand things. So is that the whole uh, underlying reason for you getting involved with chemical engineering? Is that what fascinated you most, the, that ability um, to solve problems, and then education came as a secondary way of helping people to understand the answers that you were arriving at? I mean, what, what, what was the heart, at the heart of the fascination for you? It wasn't chemical engineering. It was the idea that you could do something with science that had major social benefit. It really? Was, it was all about social benefit? It was about uh, applying um, science and mechanics to actually pro providing some kind of world-changing solution? Is that, is that what was driving you? Oh, yeah. I mean, if, if you think about the, what chemical engineering did when I was a student, is they literally changed the clothes on people's backs. If, if you look at pictures of people taken in, for example, the, the 1940s and compare it with the 1960s, they partly look different because the clothes that they're wearing have a completely different drape. Mm. So uh, essentially, uh, chemical engineering was responsible for all of that? Pretty much. It, it basically took what was known scientifically and, and made it into a much more practical form where people benefited. Look at yourself in the mirror. I mean, you can look at things like your glasses, your glasses frames. You can look at your feet, your shoes, the insoles. You can look at your teeth. And in my case, some of those teeth aren't really originally mine. You, you, can, you can look at all sorts of things that came as the result of this revolution in chemistry. 
Are you finding that to be the driving force for a lot of people when they come and choose this profession or choose to be educated as a chemical engineer? Are they also driven by that same desire that you have, or are they driven by other desires? Um, What's your sense of the current student body? I think they're driven by the prospect of a a steady job and a good salary. Oh, really? (laughs) Uh, And especially their parents put this very much in their mind. Engineering is a quick route to a profession. It's much cheaper than, uh, for example, medicine or law. And I've always suspected, though I've never really tried to document, that engineering students were disproportionately from blue-collar families. Uh, When I taught at Carnegie Mellon, and this was a long time ago, the few women we had in engineering tended to come from blue-collar families without sons. The girls got the education when the boys weren't there. So do you find that students are fulfilled by these choices or do you find them regretting these choices down the line? I mean, you know, you've been involved with mentorship for your entire career. What's the sense over this time period? What, what, do, you, what do you think is the, the general feeling about the outcomes of the educational process? I think the outcomes are are good in the sense that the training is extremely uh, flexible. Okay. Uh, For example, two of my former students are the dean of engineering at Yale and the executive producer of the Mummy movies. And and I think both of them found they had a fairly good preparation, even though they wound up with extraordinarily different looking jobs. Now, that's fascinating to me. Uh, how often does that happen? The, you know, people pursuing uh, the role of a chemical engineer, going through that process, and yet ending up in a completely different, um, a, a completely different career choice. Is, is that a, a normal occurrence or a less likely occurrence? I think it's fairly normal. Uh, most, most engineers, most chemical engineers, leave the technical aspects of, of the, their training. Uh, I suspect they do so over a 20 or 30 year period. But I think that's, uh, that change is frequent. Uh, what maybe is even more interesting is when do they have crises and decide they really made a mistake. And to me, there was, there was an enormous difference between teaching at Carnegie Mellon and here at Minnesota. At Carnegie Mellon, students were so driven into that area that they often discovered they had a mistake in their senior year. And here they discover that in their sophomore year. <laughs> well, that, that's better. I mean, it's, you know, it helps them to make those life-changing decisions a little bit earlier in their educational career. Uh, let me ask you this. You've taught for 50 years. You obviously have some perspective on how students and the role of chemical engineering has changed over time. How are students different today, and what are they looking for in their education? What are, what are you doing to foster this next generation of chemical engineers? Well, there are two parts to that. One is what are they thinking, and the other is what am I trying to, to accomplish. The, the first part, what they are thinking, is that they're running on inertia. They basically have something which causes them an awful lot of work, which doesn't have an immediate return, which sharply curtails their partying. I mean, it's <laughs> – no, this is – look, these are people, they're 18, 19 years old. Th- think of yourself. I mean, that's why they're so wonderful to work with. That was a long time ago for me. I don't know. (laughs) Well, to to answer the other part, that's the most frequent question I get. Uh, Boy, I bet you the the question will be something like, boy, I bet students don't work 
now the way they used to. That isn't true. Uh, if if I have any complaint about my students, it, it's that they work too hard. And they always have, except during Vietnam. During Vietnam, they didn't work, but they thought more, which was in some ways better. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they came up with more questions about what I was teaching them that were really very demanding. And uh, so the students are pretty much the same as they ever were, or are they, are they more driven at this point? I mean, it's a, you know, what's, your, what's your thoughts? I mean, are, are they pretty much just all, all have always been the same over the last 55 years? I don't think they've changed much. Uh, I think that, that if I didn't look at the class, I wouldn't see a big difference between the students in the 1970s and the students today. If I do look at the class, I see a dramatic difference. First of all, one-third of them are women, and probably about one-third of them are international. Now, that's always an ongoing concern in the industry, the fact that engineering does not support um, women in the, in the role of engineering. And you, you're saying that more and more women are choosing the profession. Is that um, intentional on the part of the university to recruit women into the, into the profession, or are you just finding women are seeking out the profession on their own? Uh, I think the latter. Um, women, women continue to come in. Industrial concern is certainly there. Remember, industrial concern involves looking at a workforce who they've hired over 40 years. And 40 years ago, there weren't many women. So if they have targets based on current student bodies, they're going to be completely different than what they have. But I, I would expect the number of women in chemical engineering to, to reach 50%. I don't think it'll go much beyond that. I think it'll get there quicker than the other engineering disciplines. I mean, heaven, for heaven's sake, it's not very appealing when you have, like the civils, a motto that civil engineers do it in the dirt. <laughs> oh, man. Well, w w w that's one reason why it will happen faster in chemical engineering, uh, the fact that you have uh, don't have that motto. But tell me... Uh, why, why do you believe that chemical engineering will reach that 50-50 parity so much quicker than the other engineering disciplines? Because there is, I don't know, I guess because they've come up to where they are so much faster. Uh, I mean, you mean the I'm, students have come up so much faster? Or yeah, they... you're extrapolating on what's happened, right? Right. So, so basically everybody started at zero and chemicals came up quicker. I, I've also wondered if there wasn't, uh, and again, I've never documented this, and it would be interesting to try to do so, if, if there wasn't a trade-off between engineering and nursing, that, that women who came into chemical engineering did so having rejected going into nursing. So, yeah. so in other words, that that's the way it used to be, but nowadays it's it's not. I mean, I'm I'm not following. Yes. So, in other words, um, there used to be a choice between going into nursing or not doing anything, and now the choices are much broader for women to um, pursue their 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 desires in terms of their career and profession. Um, yes. Yes. It's interesting. What what do you do? Do you do you have to mentor um, uh, your female engineering candidates um, any in any additional way to help them, or is this like because there is so much sexism in so many of the other uh, engineering disciplines on an ongoing basis, um, and 
you know, it must be it, it, the fact that you have a nearing parity in terms of your class. I mean, two thirds of your class are women. That's that no, means no, you're one, doing something. One third. One third. One third. Okay, one third. So you're you're doing something right. You know, you're encouraging women to be part of the profession. You're encouraging them to stick with it, and you're encouraging them to get to graduation. So do you have any suggestions or is it just treat everybody the same? <laughs> I, I think women used to mentor each other and I think they got substantial faculty help at that point. I don't think that's true anymore. Uh, at one point I was concerned that we had failed an unu unusually large number of women. Um, normally we would fail almost none out of half a dozen failures per year. And, uh, so I talked to some of the women in the class, and, and they said, uh, we know it used to be we took care of everybody. But now, she said, they're not working. Forget them. Oh, wow. That's, that's really, really super interesting. Hey, you know, the changes in the focus for the students entering the field must have been dramatic, must have had some dramatic effects on the business as a whole. How would you describe the role of chemical engineering today? Um, what's going on? As a result of your students as you're graduating, what kind of changes are happening in the industry? What kind of impact are you making? Well, I, I think there, there are two things that are happening, and they're quite different. Uh, one is what's happening in industry. Because of increased hydrocarbon feedstocks, the picture for the domestic chemical industry has changed dramatically. And so companies which imagined abandoning commodity chemicals now are, are much more interested in them than they were before. But at the same time, those companies cut back in their hiring in the 80s. And so they now have a workforce that is considerably older and less well distributed than they would like. So the job opportunities in the commodity chemical business over the next 10 years are going to be very, very good, probably better than any other uh, chemical area. And there's a very real concern educationally of can we sustain traditional courses when the younger faculty have little or no experience in these, these areas. John Chen, who was president of the Institute several years ago, was working hard on this and then unfortunately died, and the initiative sort of died with him, or at least was blunted. Well, wh so, wh what are we doing? What are we doing to uh, advance the academic content of chemical engineering to keep pace with the changes that are going on in the world, the changing imperatives of what you're trying to do? Well, that's one part, and that's probably going to continue to be at least half of our, our students will go to work in the commodity chemical business. And our responsibility is to make sure that they are as well-trained as we possibly can make them. The other two areas that, that are of interest are, are biology and material science in extending chemical engineering into those areas. And those are the research, research foci of the academics. And those are the areas where the federal government had, has put in substantial resources. So you have a very real di dichotomy between the short-term job market and the longer-term research market. And that's, it'll be interesting to see how that, that tension plays out.
Yeah, it will be. It definitely will be. Now, you, you teach a lot of courses, obviously. Um, out of all the classes you teach, which do you enjoy the most and why? What, what gives you the most satisfaction? Oh, I think courses in transport. Um, tra- transport basically is how fast things happen. Uh, so, sometimes when, when parents ask me what, the, what is the difference between chemistry and chemical engineering, I tell them the chemists are interested in truth and the engineers are interested in money. And, <laughs> and, and to, a, to a certain extent, that's, that's correct. I mean, the chemists are interested in can you make this and the engineers are interested in how fast. Mm. And, and how fast, be it in, uh, in how fast you can run a distillation, how fast you can run a chemical reactor, uh, how fast uh, uh, you get cold in a wind, any of those sorts of things uh, are a lot of fun to teach. There are a lot of ideas. The ideas aren't especially difficult, and they're quite easy to, st- to extend into to practice. Now, the field as a whole is clearly in a state of constant transition. So how do you see the chemical business looking over the next 20 years? Do you have any predictions for us? Uh, What do we need to be looking out for? Well, as long as as fracking continues to supply hydrocarbon feedstocks, uh, there's going to be a renaissance in traditional areas, an enormous renaissance in traditional areas. I, I think longer term... Uh, we have to think about how we make the, the chemical business more sustainable. And, and when I, going back to the civil engineers again, when, when I talk to civil engineering faculty, even those who are educated in chemical engineering, they just shake their heads and they say, I can't understand how your profession is so unconcerned with sustainability. Now, mm-hmm. I think that's changing radically, but we are slow relative in my judgment, we are slow relative to other uh, disciplines. Why is that? Why, why is the discipline, discipline a little slower on this front? I don't know. I suspect that part of it comes from, from being bruised by environmental challenges. Mm. For, the, for the civil engineers, environmental challenges are bread and butter. And for the chemical engineers, environmental regulations reduce profits. Yeah, that, that and, makes a lot of and, sense. And so there's a difference in, in who's paying the bills. Right. That makes a lot of sense. So that would definitely suppress any desire to do it. Do you, do you, but you do see that changing. You see the industry slowly coming around? Absolutely. Not, not slowly anymore. Slowly five years ago. Now it's, it's a stampede. But it's a stampede that is, thank goodness... Uh, cushioned by the feeling that all chemical products are not going to be made in the Middle East. Now, tell me a little bit, let's switch which topics here for a second, because I want to talk a little bit about the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, and particularly about the program uh, Doing a World of Good, which is what our uh, name of our show is named after. The Doing a World of Good campaign, how is it helping your students to achieve professional success? And, and what would you hope from the program going forward to potentially improve student outcomes and, and improve the, the impact that the profession is having on the world as, ho- as a whole? There are a variety of, of parts to that that are hard to answer because they – 
they show up in, in very different areas. Um, maybe I should ask you to rephrase the question. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I, I, I'm just trying to get a feel for what you think about the Doing a World of Good campaign and, and how do you see it as being a help to your students to achieve professional success and have an impact on the world? Um, what's, what's your thoughts on, on the program and what kind of suggestions would you make for it? Well, let's talk first about the Institute, then we'll get to the program. Okay. Uh, for, for the Institute, the Institute has two functions. One function is that um, it is the technical clearinghouse for what's happening intellectually. Mm. And so, so it's very important that you have some sort of forum that allows you to discover what is nonsense and what is good sense and how you can move your particular uh, part of the profession forward in ways that benefit your, your employer and your society. I mean, that, that part's pretty easy. The, the second part is that it provides a way to network across employers. And, and I don't mean to suggest it, it's circumventing the Antitrust Act, but there's a lot of interesting information which deserves to be shared in order to keep people safe. Working with chemicals is dangerous. And so you want to keep people safe. Another part is that you want to keep a forum for how jobs develop. And this is especially important because since the 1980s, commodity chemical manufacturers have not developed or invested heavily in technology. They really walked away from technology and decided they could do these, most of these improvements through management. And for a short term, that was true. But now things have turned and companies are coming back in. Dow and Air Products seem to me too who are investing in the Institute. And so you have an opportunity to come back in. And you have an opportunity, quite frankly, to see how other parts of the profession are doing relative to where you are. Are you better off than your peers or are you worse off? And frankly, companies are a little nervous about that part of the institute because they don't see why they should send their employees to a meeting where those employees look for different jobs but that's part of what they'll do but i mean, what you're doing is you what you're describing here is more than just a trade organization you're describing something that is um, an essential component to the advancement of the entire um in the entire industry uh both through per- personal success but also through Safety regulations, knowledge, learning—that's um, absolutely. That's a and lot. Fi- and financial security. When oh. the layoffs came in the '80s and '90s, they tended to come without, or not based only on the merit of the individual. So people got laid off who were very good, and that frightened the whole profession. And yeah. I think now companies understanding that if you if you behave too unfairly, it will cost you long term. I think that's been reduced dramatically. And that also has been benef- has benefited, the whole profession has benefited enormously from the movement away from uh, defined benefit to defined contribution pensions. Now, what about the Doing a World of Good campaign? What, what, do you see um, any direct benefits that are going to be immediately helping your students as they go forward into their professional careers? Yeah, there are two levels to this. One are the benefits that come to the people who are in the profession. And there, I simply think that having the freedom to talk about 
what matters so much to you, uh, to having other people that you can say these things to, is absolutely wonderful. This is why people go to professional meetings, for heaven's sake. They can't believe that they can talk about what they've been working on and have someone else know what they're talking about. <laughs> but there's, there's a second, more fundamental part, and that is implicit in the way in which we teach, where the world of good can help to overcome a problem. And that problem is we assume that every student in every class will take all of the classes that we offer. So we teach all they need to know about stoichiometry, all they need to know about thermodynamics sequentially. Now, if you contrast this with the way in which language is taught, it's as if the first course in French consisted nothing of, of nothing but nouns and the second <laughs> part of nothing but verbs. Okay, And then we expect by some magic coincidence that when we finish, the students will assemble the entire language in a completely literate form. It's an enormous demand. Mm. And so things like the World, to, World of Good program can, can effectively catalyze the way in which those pieces go together. That because when we, when we graduate students, that synthesis is incomplete. And it, it, it helps in not only for the students to make sense of the profession, but also for the world as a whole to make sense of the profession by giving it um, a context in which to exist. Am I Ab Absolutely. And that's where I feel as educators we have an opportunity. We we need to somehow teach classes which are not only useful for our majors, but also useful for the community as a whole. Because clearly just yelling at people that they should learn more of science and engineering isn't working very well. No, it's, no, it's not. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a fascinating conversation. I hate to wrap it up, but it's time for us to wrap up the show. Thank you very much for spending time with us today, Ed. No problem. Thanks, Bob. Our guest today has been Dr. Edward Cussler. You can learn more about his work at the University of Minnesota at umn.org. And that does it for this episode of Doing a World of Good. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, search for us on your favorite podcast directory or visit AICHE.org. On behalf of everyone at the American Institute of Chemical Engineers, I'm Bob Norp. Thanks for listening.